Hello, thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Chesbro Baptist Church. This morning's message is the second message in a series entitled Revival Is. And this morning we'll be talking about the subject, Revival is a Transformed Life. So, please enjoy. If you have your places in Romans chapter 12, I'm going to invite you to stand one last time in respect and reverence to the Word of God as we read the Scriptures, if you're physically able. We're going to start reading in verse number 1 in Romans chapter 12. The Bible says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. title of the message this morning is, Revival is a transformed life. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for all you've done for us. Please be with the message this morning. Be with me as I speak. Be with the power of God. May the Spirit of God fill this place and touch all of us in here today. For us, it's in Jesus Christ's precious name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'm an 80s kid. So that's kind of when I grew up. I was born in 82 and uh, um, kind of an 80s kid. And I, I remember my, my, favorite, my favorite part of the week was Saturday mornings. And I remember waking up on Saturday mornings and, man, I wanted, to, I wanted to watch my cartoons on Saturday mornings. And this was my thing. And I'd watch those cartoons. I remember Garfield was one, one of my favorite cartoons. And uh, I remember that... Uh, that Heathcliff was another one, and I guess my cartoons were all about cats. But um, I remember one cartoon that I liked particularly, and I didn't didn't come on a show, but I had it on VHS tapes. All right, so the kids today don't even know the struggle we had with the VHS tapes. But uh, you know, um, I, I remember this. I had two tapes of it, and I watched them over and over and over, and I memorized it. And that was Transformers. I loved me some Transformers when I was a kid. Optimus Prime, Bumblebee, Ironhide, Starscream, Megatron, all of them. I had them all memorized. And I loved me some Transformers. And I had Transformer bed sheets and I had Transformers. I'd get them for, for, for Christmas and I'd get them for birthdays. And I'd get my Transformers and I'd get my Optimus Prime. And I, every time I saw an 18-wheeler, I'd say, look, there goes Optimus. And uh, I just loved Transformers as a kid. Well, did you know that us as Christians, we can also be transformers. We can be transformers as Christians. Now, this series that we're going through right now in church is we're going through the subject of revival. And we're talking about revival is. And this week we're talking on the subject revival is a transformed life. Now, let's talk about what revival is in and of itself. Revival is new life in Christ. That's what revival is. Revival is a change from the inside out. Revival is being awakened in Christ. Okay? 
Uh, revival doesn't come from the outside in. Revival comes from the inside out. Who in here does not want revival? We all do. We all want to see revival in our country, and we all want to see revival in our church, and uh, we all want to see revival in our marriage and revival in our family. And, man, we want, we want revival today. It's one thing that we want as Christians is we should want this thing of revival. Uh, if we want this revival, then what we have to do to get it is we have to transform into someone that can find revival. Now, as we talked about last week, revival doesn't have to come with some big crowd. Revival doesn't have to come with some stadium full of people. Revival doesn't have to come with uh, the church full, of, full to the brim of people. That's not how revival comes. Revival comes first through one person. When one person catches revival, revival has showed up. We talked about that last week. When revival comes in one person, then revival has come. And we want revival, but in order for us to have this revival, we must live what's called a transformed life. Because being transformed and having revival, that's what revival is. Revival is new life. Revival is being awakened. Revival is a change on the inside and and this morning, I'm going to talk about three aspects of revival. I'm just going to jump right into my message here. And uh, I have three aspects of revival that I'd like to talk to you about today. Number one, I have revival's presentation. This is revival's presentation. Let's read verse number one. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that thee present your bodies a living sacrifice, Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, the first thing I want to ask this morning, the first thing we have to ask is why? Why? Why do we want revival? Why do we want a transformed life? Why do we want new life in Christ? Why do we want to be awakened in Christ? Why do we want this change from the inside out? Why do we want to live like this? Why do we want it in the first place? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. That's the reason. The reason why I want this revival, the reason why I want to live this transformed life is because of the mercies of God. We want this because God has been merciful to us. He has showed us mercy. Now, I want to show you the, the world's heathenistic logic. Let's say I'm a heathen, pagan, and I want to make a sacrifice to my dead idol, idol God. So I come and I bring my sacrifice to this dead idol. I do my sacrifice, and then I expect in return mercy. That is not how our God works. Our God says, I'll give you the mercy first, and then I want the sacrifice. See, God flips it around. We think, hey, we need to make the sacrifice to get the mercy. No, no, no. God says, no, I'll give you the mercy first, but after I give you the mercy, then I want the sacrifice. 
So the reason why we want this transformed life, the reason why we want to change, the reason why we want new life in Christ is because of the mercies of God. And let me tell you this morning, God has been merciful to us. Man, if we just think about the mercies of God, the Bible is chock full of the mercies of God, even just in the book of Romans. If we just looked at the book of Romans and we looked at verses 1, we're in chapter 12 right now. If we looked at the mercies from chapter 1 to chapter 12, there's a lot of mercies just in the book of Romans. Here's a few of them. In the book of Romans, we have justification from the guilt and penalty of sin. That's a mercy. Hey, adoption in Jesus and identification with Christ. That we've been placed under grace and not the law. We've been given the Holy Spirit to live within. Assurance of a standing in God's election. Confidence of a coming glory. Confidence of no separation from the love of God. Confidence of God continues faithfulness. And these are just the mercies in the book of Romans from chapter 1 and chapter 12. There's no shortage of the mercies of God and the mercies of God are the reason why I want to live a transformed life. The mercies of God is the reason why I want revival for me and the reason why I want revival for you and the reason why I want revival for this church is because of the mercies of God. Now, that's our motivation. That should be our motivation for wanting to live this transformed life. Let me read for you 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 and 15. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. I love that statement at the beginning of that verse. It says, for the love of Christ constraineth us. What that means, that means the love of Christ should be enough to make me want to live for him. The love of Christ should be enough for me to make me want this new life. The love of Christ should be enough to want me to want me to, to want me to, uh, to motivate me to live awakened in Christ and to have this transformation and to have this revival in the inside. Let's continue with the verse. It says that you may present your bodies. Now, this idea of a living sacrifice is similar to the idea of committing yourself to a priestly service. We are, after all, priests in God's service. We believe in a doctrine called the priesthood of the believer. Okay, That means we are all priests in God's service, when you're a child of God, every one of you, not just the man that stands behind the pulpit, every one of us, we are all priests in Christ once we become a child of God. We're all priests in his service. And he's saying, present your bodies. And when it says present your bodies, you know what he's asking for? He's saying, present your whole self. So many times as Christians, we say, all righty, God, I'm going to give you a part of my life. Here's my life, except for this one little bit. I'm going to keep this little bit back for me. This is going to be my little pet. You can have all that, but give me this one little, this one little piece. I'm going to put it in my little pocket. That's going to be my little pet. No, when God says present your bodies, he wants your whole body. He wants your whole soul. He wants your whole spirit. He wants your whole mind. He wants your whole flesh. He wants all of us. There are many people 
they just give their work. They give their work, but not themselves. They'll come, they'll clock in, they'll serve God, they'll clock out. Okay, I'm off the clock. Now I'm back home doing my own thing. We'll, they'll give their work, but they won't give themselves. You know what he's doing here? He's, uh, when he says present your bodies, what he's doing is he's appealing to our will. See, each one of us, we have a will that drives us. Well, it's supposed to. Um, because you know what? Um, the will is to be master over the body. The will is to be master over the body. Let me tell you something about the body. The body is a wonderful servant, but is a terrible master. The body is a wonderful servant, but is a terrible, terrible master. We have to get our will has to come over our body and I say, nobody, I'm presenting you to God. I'm presenting you. I'm putting you on the altar. And then look what it says. It says also in the verse, it says a living sacrifice. You know why the sacrifice is alive? The sacrifice is alive because not only was it alive when it came to the altar, but once it got to an altar, it stayed alive. You know what a living sacrifice can do? A living sacrifice can continually over and over and over and over again can serve God. Let's say I got on, went out and got a lamb. I went out and I got this lamb. I brought the lamb to the altar. I brought it down to this altar right here and I sacrificed the lamb. Okay? I did my sacrifice with it. But can that same lamb do anything for God tomorrow? No, because it's dead. About to have some lamb chops. Okay? Um, about to have some gyros here. And uh, so, you know what? I, I, I'm, I can't use that lamb anymore. That lamb can't serve God anymore because it's dead. A living sacrifice serves God over and over and over and over. And it's a continuing thing. And it's a day after day. It's an hour after hour. It's a minute after minute. And that's what a living sacrifice is an ongoing thing. And that's what he wants us to be. He wants us to be a living sacrifice. 1 Corinthians 16, uh, 6, 19. What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of your own, ye are not your own. Why am I not my own? Why don't I belong to myself? I'll tell you why. Because you're bought with a price. I am bought with a price. And the price was paid on a cross. I am bought with a price, and that is why I am not my own. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Man, so when I live, I live for Christ. Why? Because we are bought with a price. Now, let me tell you something. So far, we're talking about quite a commitment here. This is, this is a big deal. This is quite, hey, this is, this is biting off a whole lot to chew, okay? This is quite a commitment. I mean, I have to present my whole body, my, everything about me, not just uh, the parts I want to give, but even the parts I don't want to give. I have to come to God and present everything in my life to him, and then I have to be a living sacrifice that means I have to do it day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. I have to continually do this. 
Man, this is quite a commitment. I want you to look the next part, the next phrase in the verse we're going to talk about is these two words. And it says in the verse, it says reasonable service, reasonable service. Let's look at the word service first. You know what that word service means? That word service means here it means a life of worship, a whole life of worship, not just on Sundays, a whole life of worship, not just on Sundays, but on Monday through Saturday, too. And what the word is, the word holy in the verse, holy means separate unto God. That's what holy means, separate unto God. So we have a decision to make. We have the decision to make that I am going to yield to holiness. When you have a decision or I have a decision, when we have a decision in our lives and we have one decision that is holy and we have another decision that is unholy, we are to yield to the holy decision. That's what being holy is. Yielding to holiness. And that's what he wants out of this sacrifice. That's what he wants when we present our bodies. When we'll be this living sacrifice, we're to be holy. It means separate unto God. We're to yield to holiness. But then also it says, acceptance is holy and acceptable. You know what acceptable means? Acceptable means well-pleasing to God. It means I live a life that makes God happy. Can we say that? Can we say that we live a life that makes God happy? You see, when we present our bodies as a living sacrifice on this altar, the fire of God, you know what it does? It burns away the impurities in our life. The closer we are to him, the more those impurities burn away, and that is pleasing to God. It is pleasing to God for me and you to get close to him. It is pleasing for, him, for me and you to give our lives for him and his service and do what Jesus wants us to do with our lives. Why? Because it makes him happy. So this sacrifice is to be holy. It's to be separate unto God, separate away from the world. It's to be acceptable. It's to be a life that is well-pleasing. It's a life that is aimed at making God happy. So wait a minute, let's, let's go back to this. This is quite a commitment here. Man, this is, we're not talking about something, they're not talking about a one and done deal here. We're talking about a continual thing. I've got to present my body. I've got to present it and uh, it's got to be holy. I have to keep it separate. Uh, it's got to be acceptable. I have to make God happy and it's got to be a living sacrifice. And I have, that means I have to do it over and over and over, day after day after day after day. Man, this is quite a commitment here. And you know what God says about this great commitment? You know what he says? He says it's reasonable. It's reasonable. It's not over the top. What, do you think it's over the top for me to ask this of you? It's not over the top. It's simply reasonable. That's all it is. It's just reasonable. It's not over the top. It's not over the top to go to church every time the doors are open. It's not over the top to give 10% of your income to God. It's not over the top to, to, uh, to resist temptation and resist sin. It's not over the top to give 100% of your desires in life to Jesus Christ. Why? Because we are bought with a price. That's why it's not unreasonable for him to ask this of us. Because he points at the cross and says, do you remember what my son went through? Do you remember what he did? 
Do you remember the price he paid and the blood he shed for your salvation and for my salvation so we can have a home in heaven? It is not unreasonable for me to ask this of you. So we need to present our bodies. And that needs to be holy, separate unto God. It needs to be acceptable, which is well-pleasing. It needs to be a living sacrifice, which over and over and over, continual, every day, every day, every day. And that's not a lot to ask, considering what he went through with us, for us. Why? Because we're bought with a price. And what he's asking of us here, it's not over the top. It's reasonable. Let's look at number two. First, we have revival's presentation. Number two this morning, we have revival's transformation. We have revival's transformation. Verse number two. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay, let's stop there. Basically, what this saying is, is we have a decision. We have another decision to make. And the decision we have to make here is that I am not going to conform to this world. I am going to live my life for Christ. I am, life is not about conforming to the, to the world. Life is about being closer to Jesus. That's what life is about. What conform means? Conform means to fashion after the same pattern. You can't mold, we can't mold ourselves around the world and expect to live a life for Christ. We can't do it. 1 John 2, 15, love not the world, neither the things in that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 1 John 2, 17, and the world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Forever. All right, let's, the word transform in this verse, it says, uh, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know what the Greek word for this transformed is? It's the word metamorpho. It's the same word we get metamorphosis from. You know what a metamorphosis is? It's a change from the inside out. That's what a metamorphosis is. Okay, so metamorpho is, uh, is, is what this word is. Now, it's, this metamorpho word was used in Mark chapter 9 to describe Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And that was a glory to see, wasn't it? Man, I, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall when, when those apostles saw Jesus in his glory. Man, that was a glorious change. Here you have someone who they know is the same person. But yet, at the same time, he's completely different. And that's what a transformation is for me and you. We're the same person, but at the same time, everybody can tell we're completely different. And that's what Jesus went through, and that's what he wants for us. He wants this transformation. He wants us to have this metamorpho, this metamorphosis, this change from the inside out. Now, uh, Paul uses metamorpho only one other time in Scripture. He uses it one other time. And the place that he uses it is in 2 Corinthians 3.18. 2 Corinthians 3.18, he says, But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. 
Okay, so what does this mean? For Paul, this metamorphosis, for Paul, this transformation, for Paul, this renewing of our minds takes place as we behold the face of God and spend time in his glory. The more we behold the face of God, the more we spend time in the glory of God, the closer, in other words, the closer we get to God. When we put ourselves in the presence of God, that's when this change occurs. That's when this transformation happens. All right, so let's talk about that phrase, that renewing of our minds. What does that mean? What does it mean, the renewing of our minds? Well, I, I want you to see, first of all, it doesn't say our renewed minds. It says renewing of our minds. It is a continual day after day thing. It is not a one and done deal. It's not a one and done deal. You don't get this renewed mind and then you've got it. No, 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 no. You have to get it and you have to keep it. It is a day after day after day after day thing. You can lose it just as fast as you can get it. If, you, if I can make a choice to be conformed to the world, then that means at the same token, I can instead make a choice to have my mind renewed. So I can, it's still a choice here. Okay, okay. So how do I do that? How do I make the choice to have my mind renewed? James 1.22 says, Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. See, in order for me to make this choice to have my mind renewed, Christians won't experience this if they don't have a daily walk with God. If you don't have, if Christians that don't have a daily walk and a daily relationship with God will never experience this transformation. Because according to Paul, the only way I can experience this transformation is if I put myself in the presence of God. That is it. That's the only way I can experience this transformation. And the longer I'm here, the more I'll change. But the second I quit, I go back over here and I start conforming to the world again. And the more I'm over here, the more I look like the world, the more I'm molded like the world. So the only way I can be transformed, the only way I can have a continual renewing of my mind if I keep myself in the presence of God is the only way to have this transformation. If I want this metamorphosis, if I want this change from the inside out, if I want this transformation, if I want revival, I'm not going to get it unless I have a daily walk with him. What Paul is saying is, is, is the more time I spend in the presence of his word, the more time I spend in prayer, the more time I spend in praise and worship, the more I will change. But you cannot have this transformation. We cannot have this revival if we're not daily putting ourselves in the presence of God. This revival and this transformation is not for Sunday Christians. And when I say, I use that term loosely, what I mean by that is not for a Christian that only gets their spirituality at church. Church is the only place you're getting your spirituality from. You can't have this. 
You can't have this transformation. You can't have this renewed mind. You can't be the same person, yet a different person at the same time. You can't have this new life. You can't have this awakening in yourself. You can't experience it if you're not daily walking with God. Spending time every day in your Bible. Spending time praying. Spending time listening to good music that brings you close. You know why we listen to music before the preaching? Because music opens ourselves up to hear the word of God. It brings us closer to God. We got to do this every day. It's the only, because if I don't do it, I'm not going to keep it. If we want this transformation, if we want this new thing, it has to be an everyday thing. And I'm not telling you, Brother Brad, I'm busy. I just don't have time. It doesn't take a lot of time. Just start with a little bit. You know how many chapters there are in the book of Proverbs? There are 31. You know how many days there are in a month? Most of them have 31 days. Hmm. So I can read a chapter of Proverbs once a day, which doesn't take but a couple minutes. You can read a chapter in Proverbs less two or three minutes. And I can read a chapter every day of the month. I did this for a long time. I had, a, I had a Bible college uh, president. He, he told us to live in the Psalms and Proverbs. So I started out by reading a chapter of Proverbs every day, and I read through it every month. And then I got to where, you know, Psalms, are, sometimes there's some long Psalms, but other times Psalms are really tiny. Psalms are really tiny, and there's 150 of them. But, you know, if you read five Psalms a day, you read through the book of Psalms every month. So I did that for three or four years. I read five Psalms and I read one chapter of Proverbs every day and I read through Psalms and Proverbs every month. Now, I am not telling you this to tell you how super spiritual I am because I am not, okay? But what I am telling you is if this redhead can do it, I know you can do it, okay? All right, so when we, when we spend time in the Bible and when we pray, man, the best prayer time you have is driving down the, driving down the street. Man, when you, when you drive down the street, that's when you can spend time with God. Man, I drive 30 minutes to work. When I'm by myself, that's what I do. Hey, you know what? We have time. We just got to make the time. But man, if we don't stay every day in the presence of God, we can't live a transformed life. And if Chesbro Baptist Church is a church of people that only spends time with God when it's church time, we can't have revival. The only way we can have revival, the only way we can live this transformed life and have a continual renewing of our minds is if we make the decision I'm going to bring myself into the presence of God every day of my life. In one way or another, I'm going to read my Bible or I'm going to pray or I'm going to put on some good music that makes me praise and worship him every day. It needs to be a continual every day. This, this is that this is we got to upkeep it. We got to maintain it. As soon as we let off, we're going to start conforming to the world again. We have to stay on this thing. So what's number three this morning? Number three is revival's manifestation. Number three is revival's manifestation. Okay, here's a question. How do you know when revival comes? 
Brother Brent, how do I know when I have revival? How do I know when I have this transformed life? How will I know when I have new life in Christ? How will I know when I'm awakened in him? How will I know when I'm changed from the inside out? Well, here's how you'll know. You'll know you have this transformation when you see yourself as small and Jesus is big. You see, because revival comes when I get out of the way. When I get out of the way, that's when revival comes. Okay? When I see myself as small and Jesus is big. Let's look at the, la at the second part of verse number two. That ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So underneath revival's manifestation, first we have the manifestation is a proving life. The manifestation is a proving life. Let me give you a little insight on the will of God. The will of God is not something God wants to keep a secret. It's not something that God wants to keep a secret from us. He actually wants us to know his will. He wants those around us to know God's will for our lives. He wants us to know his will. So this means that the will of, the will of God can be searched. The will of God can be known. And the will of God can be proven. The will of God can be proven. So how do you prove the will of God? How do you prove what the will of God is to yourself? How do you know what the will of God, how do you prove it? A transformed life. That's how you do it. A lot of times we have, we say, well, I'm looking for the will of God. I'm looking for the will of God. And all honestly, we're just kind of shooting in the dark. We're, you know, I'm taking my best guess here. I'm thinking it's right there, you know. We're taking our best shot in the dark. But the thing is, if we make the decision to live a transformed life, we can prove the will of God. We can know, the, we can know what it is. We don't have to think about it. We don't have to guess about it. Inside of a transformed life, I know the will of God for my life. I can prove to you that it's the will of God. But this is where you prove it. You prove it by living a transformed life. And then it says here, it says, the, let me read the verse again. It says that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I have heard preachers preach that this good and acceptable and perfect will of God, that these are different levels of the will of God, that you can either have the perfect will, which is the A plan, or you can have the good, which is the B plan. Or you can have the acceptable, which is the C plan. I don't buy into that. These are good, acceptable, and perfect are all adjectives for the same will. I'm just going to use this as an example. Because this is the way it was explained to me. Okay? Um, it's not God's will for divorce. Divorce is not in the plan of God. So because you're divorced, you can't have the perfect will anymore. You can just have the good will. Or you can just have the acceptable will. No, that is not. Just because you get divorced doesn't mean that God's through with you. Just because you get divorced does not mean you can no longer experience the perfect will of God. That's not how this works. 
God is not done with you just because of that. Is it against the word of God? It is. But you know what? I sin all the time too. We're all sinners. To be guilty of one sin is to be guilty. To be guilty of one part of the law is to be guilty of all the law. But we all sin. We all mess up. Just because I sin, just because I mess up, doesn't mean I can't experience the perfect will of God. So just because we mess up does not mean that I have to settle for the B plan. Doesn't matter I have to settle for the C plan. Doesn't matter I have to settle for the D plan. No, in any stage of my life, I can settle for the A perfect plan of God. Doesn't matter what my past is. Because Jesus isn't in, Jesus is not in the business of holding records. He's in the business of forgiving records. He's in the, biz the business of wiping slates clean. So you don't mean to tell me that God can give me uh, a, a perfect will of God even after I've messed up? Well, we don't serve the same God then. You see, you know why the will of God is good? The will of God is good because it honors God. You know why the will of God is acceptable? The will of God is acceptable because it's well-pleasing to God and he approves of it. You know why the will of God is perfect? The will of God is perfect because the will of God is complete. It is complete. It's not a half will. It's not a partial will. It's the perfect, complete, whole will of God because inside the will of God it is perfect because inside the will of God you will find everything you need that's what makes it perfect what makes it perfect is the fact that it is complete you know what it's time for it's time for us to prove the will of God it's time for us to prove to ourselves what the will of God is for our lives it's time for us to prove to others what the will of God is. It's time for us to prove to God that we know what the will of God is. Man, when we're over here conforming to the world, we're shooting in the dark. But if we want to know what God wants us to do with our lives, I have to live in a transformed life. And if I live in his presence, I can prove it to myself. I don't have to guess anymore. I can prove what is that good. I can prove what is that acceptable. And I can prove that which is perfect. It's time for us to prove the will of God. Number two, under manifestation, I have the manifestation. This manifestation is a humble life. This manifestation is a humble life. Let's look at verse number three. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Let me tell you something. When you live a transformed life, you live a humble life. You live a humble life. Philippians 2, 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Let me tell you something about pride. Pride is sneaky. Do not underestimate the sneakiness of pride. Don't do it. Pride is is sneaky. It'll sneak up on you very, very quickly. In fact, there is no sin which men are more prone to than pride. Pride, we are pro more prone to pride than anything else. And you know when revival's gonna come? 
Revival's going to come when it's not about me anymore. When it's not about me. When I come last, that means I'm living over here in a transformed life. And in a transformed life, I can experience revival because revival can find me. But only in a transformed life. So what do we talk about today? First, we talked about revival's presentation. I must remember God's mercies on my life. And they are many. And then I must present my body holy, acceptable. And as this is an overtop request, this is just a reasonable request. After what he did for us, it's just reasonable. And we have revival's transformation. Instead of conforming the world, I make a choice that I need to let his daily fellowship and his daily word keep my mind in a constant state of renewal. And the longer I stay there, the longer my life will begin to transform because the more time I spend in his presence, the more I become the person he wants me to be. Then we have revival's manifestation. I can know revival has come when I can prove I'm in his will. And when in a humble state of mind, I take a back seat to the will and spirit of God. We all want revival. You know what we got to do? We got to get out of the way. We got to get out of the way. We got to stay over here in his presence. If you want to be a different person in Christ, if you want to be awakened in Christ, you want this new life every day, you got to seek God. Every day we have to seek him in some form, in some fashion. Seek God every day, not just when you step foot on the church property. Seek him at home. Seek him at work. Seek him in the presence of your family. Seek him by yourself. Find a way to seek God because the longer you live here, the more different you will become. But you know what? None of that matters. None of this matters. None of it. You can't have a transformed life. You can't have revival. You can have none of it if you've never been saved. If you've never come to a place when you've accepted Christ as your Savior and asked him into your heart and given you a home in heaven, you can't have any of this. There has to come a time in your life when you ask Jesus Christ to save you and come into your heart and you become a child of God. It is the only way you can have any of this. So you have to be saved. You must be born again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do we have that everlasting life today? If you don't, you will have an opportunity to receive it today. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around.